Good. I'm glad it's helpful. Um, so uh, what do you believe? So one of the kids says, the Bible. Is that wrong? No. No, but the problem is, like, faith comes by hearing the word of God. The gospel is the, is the main thing, right? So, but you don't, you actually don't walk up to somebody and say, Bible. That doesn't actually do anything. Even the Bible itself doesn't contain the word Bible. Except, I mean, obviously it says Holy Bible in the front, but you mean the content. The meat and potatoes is actually about Ultimately, God becoming flesh and, in the, we say, in the, per, in the person of Jesus and dying on the cross. So it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus doing particular things and Jesus being a particular, but he's important for a particular reason. So he's not just a guy who died on the cross. Lots of people died on the cross, but he's God who became flesh and died on the cross and rose again. All of that can be confessed by the devil. What makes, it, what makes it more useful for us is that he did all those things for me. We can say for me. It's the for you-ness of the gospel is the, is the big thing there. Um, so that's really to get the kids to kind of wrap their heads around that. The, the ba- basic message of God becoming flesh uh, and dying on the cross, rising up again and doing it all for me. That's the basic idea. Now, with all that said, we got all this Jesus packaged together. We're going to unfold more of Jesus in the second article of the creed today. But um, now, Jesus has done all that. Why would you say Jesus died on the cross? For me. So that's for who? He died on the cross for me. So why did he die on the cross for you? Throw it out there. What would you tell a third grader? Why did he do that? Why? Forgive our sins. So Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. So then, why bother with church? Is, do we just go to church because Jesus said to go to church? And if so, where did he say to do that? So what's the point of church? If my sins are all, Jesus died on the cross, sins are forgiven. Oh, and by the way, why does anyone go to hell? Or why are, what makes you any different from people who are going to hell? If Jesus died on the cross, forgave sins... Right? Everyone should be going to heaven. But there is a heaven and a hell. So the problem is there's got to be some kind of distinguishing factor among us. Right? So I don't, if I come to church to have my sins forgiven, then why did Jesus bother dying? Right? Seems like I could just bypass the cross and come straight to the church part. Right? Same with the question we ask uh, the kids in baptism is... Um, what does baptism do? Washes away my sins. Well, good. Why did Jesus have to die, though? Water is a lot less painful, right? So what's the, what's the church, what's the purpose of worship? What we're getting after is, and uh, I think I know I've drawn this for you guys before. I just don't, I don't trust pens. One time a Sharpie ended up up here, and I just never know. Is this going to be? I think it's safe. Okay. All right, so we have the cross. And here's us in 2022. We're happy. It's Dragoo, just got a job. Give you a little hat so you're Amish. (laughs) Uh, So here we are in 2022. Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins, but I'm not here. Like that Lenten hymn goes, were you there when they nailed him to the... Well, I wasn't there, right? And had I been there... Looking at the cross, would that been a, would that been the thing, the thing that forgives my sins? No, but I would have been there. I would have been right there at the cross. I could have even gotten the blood of Jesus physically on me. Would that would have forgiven my sins? No, because the soldiers. I mean, Passion of the Christ depicts this wonderfully. Like they they have the whip with the little teeth on it that hook into Jesus. You know, not, Jim Caviezel. That's the actor in The Passion. Uh, hooked into his back, ripped the flesh off, blood splattering all over their faces. And these guys are outside of faith. They have no forgiveness. But they're covered in the blood of Jesus, right? And they're, they're at the cross. So the forgiveness of sins is happening here at the cross, but it's not doing us any good that we're not there. And even if we were there, it doesn't do us any good. So the key distinction is where, where church, what we say when church comes into play here is that the forgiveness of sins 
was, was won on the cross, but it's not delivered at the cross. It's delivered anywhere Jesus wants it delivered. Where Jesus says, this is going to deliver the forgiveness of sins, that's where it gets delivered, right? Um, so when Jesus says, faith comes by hearing the word, wherever the word is preached, we have the forgiveness of sins going forth. Jesus sends out his disciples to speak the absolution, to forgive sins. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. John 20, the forgiveness of sins is being delivered. Take, eat, take, drink for the forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, baptism saves you. All these, all these wonderful deliverances of the forgiveness of sins are happening in, the, in what, what we would call church, which really just... Wherever God's word is found and wherever his sacraments are being delivered according to his institution. So he says, hey, bread and wine, words of institution, body and blood, forgiving sins. Send out pastor, forgive sins. Baptize even little babies, forgive sins. So all these things, what's happening is the salvation was won. Forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life was won by the death of Jesus but then it's delivered, delivered to us today wherever the word is preached and the sacraments are administered. And this is really the definition of church. At least for a Lutheran mind, the Lutheran confession of the church. So the, what's happening in church is like, it's not just a gathering of, of like-minded people trying to learn more stuff about Jesus. So that's academic. That's me coming to kind of gain in my, in my knowledge of God. Or if I'm just coming to, to keep a rule, like God said to go to church, so I'm going to church. That's me doing it to keep a rule. But it's ultimately, the direction is Jesus wants his forgiveness as one on the cross delivered into our, into our bodies, into our ears, into our mouths, right? Now, it's really going to blow your mind. <clears throat> Let's go the other way. And you get Adam and Eve back here at creation. What? Do they not get forgiven? They do, but was it delivered? <clears throat> it wa was it delivered? I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if I'm an Old Testament Israelite, well, let me put it like this. Jesus Christ, there used to be some really great graphic pictures in this room. There's a covenant. Yeah? Good, good, good. Yes, and, and so even more, so they, as, soon as, as soon as Adam and Eve fall into sin and they, they start blaming each other <laughs> and God promises the seed of the woman that's going to crush Satan's head, Jesus, or God, God then goes and he, he, he says, your fig leaves aren't enough. Your self-covering, your self-justification isn't going to do it. I need to justify you. I need to cover you up. And what does he do? He goes and kills an animal and he covers them up. Death hadn't happened yet. So I always picture it like this really jarring thing that had to have been for Adam and Eve. Because remember Adam and Eve, it's like he's named the animals. He knows they're, like, they're, they're all, there's no, there's no like fear between man and animal. And they're just kind of like playing. So he's got this one sheep named Spot. He recognizes his voice. He's got distinctive like stripe on his back, whatever. You think if he had a stripe, it would have been named Stripe and not Spot, but let's stick with. <laughs> he's got this distinctive sheep fur. What do you call it? Wool? What do you call it? Fur? Wool? And they always played together. They would cuddle together at night. You know, it's just a wonderful thing. And then they fall into sin. And then Jesus, or God comes up to them with like the coat hangers with these outfits made out of, and he recognizes the spot, the spot or stripe, depending on which version of the story you're going with there. And, and they, so death is required to cover up my sin, my shame. Uh, ultimately, it would be the death of Jesus. So here, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, right? But that doesn't make any sense unless I've grown up for 4,000 years sacrificing lambs, right? Think Passover. So you're putting the blood of the lamb up on the, on the door. The, the blood of the lamb is always pointing to this Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. But it's not just pointing forward. It's also delivering 
backwards. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. So remember, so this is kind of deep, and we'll just kind of, I'll assert it and we'll move on. That's the best way to teach, I think. Uh, since Jesus is God, right? He's in, Jesus come, God comes into this world in our time, in our space. And yet, also, he's got a foot in eternity. So he's also operating outside of time and space. So anything that Jesus does in creation is happening at all times. So when Jesus dies on the cross in 33 uh, AD approximately, it's ultimately the same salvation that's delivered to Adam and Eve back at the beginning. It's the same back, and then they build a temple, which it doesn't look like a church, but <laughs> you can't really see it anyway. Uh, they build a temple. What's the main, thing, the main reason you go to the temple? Sacrifice. The sacrifices. What's all the sacrifice nonsense about? And we, we think about it in the New Testament, we're like all these laws they had to keep were just so terrible. Well, no, it was, it was gift for them. It was salvation that would be won by the seed of the woman that's going to crush Satan's head is being delivered to them with certainty. Now they would say, well, we know the Messiah is going to come and we know we have faith in the Messiah. It's going to forgive our sins. That's fine. They, they, they could rejoice in that forgiveness. But when you go to the temple and actually have this lamb cut in half, this is a certainty that my sins were right there. My sins have been taken off of me and put on that sheep, right? Forgiven. And now fast forward to the New Testament, same deal. All my sins were taken off of me and put on Jesus and now delivered, forgiveness delivered to us today. So the purpose of worship, the goal is to forgive sinners. That's the main thing, is to take all the stuff that Jesus has done and preach it into people. And as that's happening, another thing that's taking place is we making dead things alive. So we come, to, we come before the Lord. We, we're always starting dead in our sin. And so we're having, the, we're having the word preached to us that condemns us for our sin and then brings us up to new life again, forgives our sins. That's the Christian rhythm. And this, it's, a, it's a wonderful life that God calls us into is we kind of fall back into our sin. He calls us back again, sets us free, forgives our sins. Usually all along the way, we're chasing over, we're chasing all these idols that are leading us into false worship, sin, various different things. And so he's calling them out for what they are. So the, that's hence the Ten Commandments, right? So don't steal other... Why are you trying to look at other people's stuff for your, for your joy? Stop coveting other people's stuff. You're not going to be happy even if you had it. You're making an idol out of it. Stop it. Repent. That means turn back to Him, the living and true God, and He forgives our sins. And then we walk out, having our sins forgiven. We go back into our lives. And before we even make it into the car... <laughs> we get our shoes dirty again with sin, right? But that's the rhythm. So my life has lived in a constant, a constant repentant life of confessing my sins to God, being forgiven by him, right? Now, between Sunday and Sunday, I rack up a lot of sins on my account, but that doesn't mean like, say, I die on a Wednesday, then I'm going to purgatory, right? That's a system you have appreciated maybe growing up. <laughs> Not so much, right? The idea is I'm constantly living in my forgiveness, I'm living from the font Monday through Saturday. Uh, or, or even when I can't make it on a weekend, I'm constantly living from the forgiveness of sins week to week so that there's never any doubt. What's the beauty of coming to church? It's, it's a, a picture I gave a couple weeks ago. It's like, my I told my daughter I loved her when I left tonight, just in case I didn't make it out of here in time to kiss her goodnight before I get back. But if I get back and she's still awake, I'm not gonna just not go up there I'm going to jump in bed and give her a big hug and a kiss and tell her I love you, right? So Jesus is, every time we're coming to church, he's filling us up with forgiveness and he's strengthening our faith. The same old Adam in us that's wanting to wander off. So what the, the goal of worship, again, is to deliver what Jesus has won on the cross and to make dead things alive again. Usually the dead things don't even realize that they're dead. That's our, that's our problem. Our sin is so bad that we don't even know that we're sinful. So Jesus has to actually tell us that we're sinful. And then we say, yes, amen. Yes, so Jesus tells us we're sinful. We say, yes, amen. Then he says, I forgive your sins. We say, yes, amen, thank you. Then he says, let's go. There's more good stuff to come. He's gonna keep giving us his gifts. And then he sends us out into the world to 
love and serve our neighbor. And as we're loving and serving our neighbor, doggone it, you can't love and serve your neighbor without accidentally sinning against them, can you? That's part of being in the old sinful flesh. But you also can't love and serve your neighbor if you don't get, if you don't like actually get engaged with them. I think I mentioned this. Yeah, I know I did. Like maybe back in the Ten Commandments, like you can't, when you, when you talk to someone, you risk offending them. So you could just never talk to anybody. The problem is then you can never actually give compliments, right? Encourage, comfort, love. So you have to engage, but in so doing, we sin. And when we sin, what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. We repent, right? We apologize. And that's the Christian life. So that's worship. Any, any question on any stuff I just threw at you there? Death before baptism. Death before baptism. So we're going to talk about baptism for okay. two weeks in a row, October 26th and November 2nd. Okay. But I'm happy to talk about it now. If I die, I in short, if I, if I die before, I live being sidetracked. I live on a sidetrack. Uh, if I die before I'm baptized, the kids are asking this. Right now in the day school, like right now the kids are like, like they're fixated. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> so, so to that I say, why? Jesus, well, Jesus says do it. Anyway, that's a different issue. So uh, what condemns is not a lack of baptism, but what? Sin? Lack of faith. Like a faith. Because we all have sin, right? Well, an infant doesn't have faith. What? Infants. Oh, really? I don't know. I'm not in the mind. Well, how many infants have told you they don't have faith? <laughs> Maybe they so you assume them. that they don't because they can't confess it to you, True. right? Which now you've been making faith a different thing. And yet, you know, it's the weirdest thing. Um, my, my babe, Aunt Sadie, when she was like weeks old, could be held by Mandy and been fine. And anybody else asked Beth. And she'd scream bloody murder until she was held by mom. How did she, how did she know, right? So uh, there's more... We don't want to create doubt for people, right? So the Lord says, baptize all nations. The Lord says, we're delivering the cross to someone. And what's wonderful about infant baptism is it actually emphasizes all the more that it has nothing to do with us. It actually gives the faith that receives the baptism. This is the big flip, by the way, for anybody coming out of like evangelical world. The idea would be, I make a decision for Christ, then I am baptized, and baptism is the first sign of obedience of my, of my true faith. But then if I fall back into sin, which we as, as Lutherans, we're like, we're, I just described the rhythm. I'm constantly falling back into sin. He's calling me back, forgiving my sin. And go. But if I'm living the evangelical world, if I, what's the word, backslide, then I, maybe I didn't really believe the first time. And I didn't accept him into my heart at, so I didn't do it right, and therefore my baptism didn't even count because my accepting Jesus was, was insincere the first time. So now I have to rededicate my life to Christ or accept Jesus again and then be baptized again, right? Uh, so for usually for people who, who are born like in a Catholic or Lutheran, Anglican household where, where, where babies are baptized and they convert as adults because they didn't like their church or whatever it is, and they become uh, even something in evangelicals, they will be rebaptized. Because the argument is their first baptism didn't count because they were babies and therefore they didn't have faith, it didn't count. Because since when, is, since when is baptism a gift that's like, so God's making it contingent upon something in us? He's delivering the goods. Baptism now saves you. Entire households are baptized. Oh, part of all nations, Jesus has baptized all nations over the age of 10. Right? All nations. All means all. Right? Maybe Bill Clinton would have a different definition, but it's old. It's an old joke, Dragger. You know who Bill Clinton is? <laughs> <laughs> it depends, on, depends on what the definition is. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're the one who brought that up to me about the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we'll come back to that it, unfolding the is. So when a baby dies outside, and this is where, this is where it gets kind of tricky. I mean, um, it, 
the Lord gives the Lord gives holy baptism as this wonderful gift, and yet people people willingly reject it for some reason, um, or delay it for some. And yet, so if I if I've got a baby, can, can babies die? Most well, certainly, babies can die, right? <laughs> yeah, so what? So that's a, that's a Catholic faith. But yeah. if you're not baptized, they think you go Right. So, all, so I mean, to try to go at it without, let's leave purgatory out of it. Because I've done, I got the scrub in for, um, um, I should forget that name. A little kid, Gabe? Uh, Koenig. Um, you've probably seen him at church. He's got, I forget the disease he has, where his hands, he has his hands or his elbows. I forget his, super cool kid. He's, he'll give you a high five as best he can. Apparently, he's like a, he's like a living bowling ball. Like he, his mom said he can't really catch himself when he falls because he, he doesn't have hands. But he'll like, he's learned how to fall in such a way that he just rolls without, <laughs> so he'll just, you'll see him roll and just go boom, and just roll and take people out. But uh, <laughs> we thought he was going to die. Like the odds of him li- living were very, very small. So like they did the C-section. I was at the hospital at like Luther or some in Chicago and I had to like scrub in. I'm like back there in the OR. It's kind of a bizarre thing. And the doc is very respectful of me. They like pull this baby out, clean, clean him off straight to me. That's a pretty cool thing. Why do that? And if I didn't do that, maybe let's run down that road. Because that's your question. What if, what if I had to go to the bathroom? in that minute that they pulled him out and I, and I wasn't there, right? Or what if I just wasn't there? And she went into, or other, many other ways that children can die. Or the, the Sunday on the way to baptism. We've scheduled it faithfully on the third, on the eighth day, which would be ideal, right? Christians, I mean, they, no one actually does that, but the eighth day was always the goal because what was happening on the eighth day in the Old Testament? Circumcision. Eight days old. Do those people have faith? More than me. <laughs> Eight days old. Right? There's no, they were, they're not able to. <laughs> well, but the point is, these eight-year-old, eight-day-old kids are being brought into the covenant because it's about the promise, not about them, right? So, so here I am bringing my kid to baptism at eight days and we're on the way to the hospital and at car accident, whatever tragic, absolutely terrible situation, right? So I say, sorry, your, your kid's in purgatory. Well, sorry, the purgatory is not in the Bible, which means one of two options. All children who die go to heaven, which creates an entire theological system then. So now I'm having to say, at what point does the kid stop being a kid and start being responsible for their own damnation? Maybe no one goes to hell. Universalism, which that's directly opposite of what Jesus would say, right? So... How do you work? How do you go that direction? Where does where's the line? Okay. Uh, for so, does the kid go to hell? Forty-eight months. What's your cutoff? Well, so but let's say so the baby's died, hasn't been baptized. Does the child go to hell? Yeah, I don't know. When our daughter was sick, we called our Lutheran pastor. He came, like when she was a few days old. He blessed her, but he refused to baptize her. He baptized her later, and he just was like, "No, she's a child of God. We're good." But he, he blessed her and he visited us several times. So, so that, that might have been comfort that I would have given a mother had the baptism not happened, right? So this is the, that's the thing. We don't, no one is condemned because they haven't been baptized. But baptism brings a lot more that we can say about a person. In fact, every funeral that I preach, I try to bring a, a person into it, like the gift that they were to us and so, so on and so forth. But really, the reason that we're, we're so comforted as we all knew that Eugene over there was a real jerk most of the time. But he's in heaven now, but not because he wasn't a jerk, but because he was baptized into Christ, Romans 6, right? So God took what was dead and sinful and made it alive again. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will Eugene. That's why we have this, the, the funeral in the church, and, and we rejoice in the promises of holy baptism. So I can't give the same baptismal promises to the person who's died outside of baptism. That doesn't mean I don't have plenty of promises for that person. Because here's the, cat, here's the, here's the, the thing that we often forget. 
Uh, how many people, no, that's a bad question. Who, did, who decides when life is given or taken? The Lord. So you're telling me that the God who knows that I was, I was on the way to baptize my kid and who allowed my kid to be called home in that moment, is he fully aware of the life, the entire life of that child? I mean, this gets into the, the, the omniscience of God, the all-knowing eternality of God that's able to say, hey, I know what was going to happen to that person. And that's why we don't get too caught up in like, to, I mean, the, the, this is a bigger conversation, I think, but when, when Israel is, is called into Canaan and to slaughter everyone, right? But they didn't have a chance to hear about Jesus, Right? First of all, they were slaughtering each other all the time anyway, especially their own children. And so this was God bringing judgment upon them for their own, for their own sin. But also, like, think, so you're telling me if one of these Canaanite, innocent, seemingly innocent Canaanite young ladies out on the outskirts of Canaan was going to raise her child in the faith, it was going to be brought to faith maybe two years later by some, by some wonderful, brilliant conversation at a coffee shop outside of Canaan in the... <laughs> And she was going to become a Christian. Doesn't God know that too? So he, he knows these things. He's going to work it out on his end. I'm just saying on my end, when I'm, bringing, I'm delivering comfort to people, I can say a lot more when you actually have, have embraced the things that Jesus has given us to embrace. Right? So the, and, the, and also for the comfort for the mom. Because so, what happens is you start actually running down the logic. When the, when the pastor comes, you say, I know uh, your, your kid is in heaven because... All kids go to heaven. Then you say, well, what about the Muslim kid who dies in a car wreck? Muslim kids too, they go to heaven too. Because Jesus always said, everyone comes to the Father under the age of five without me, but after five, they have to come to the Father by me, right? Wait, that's not what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, including everyone. Right? So uh, when it comes to the, yeah, I mean, it's a terrible, tragic situation, but there's, there's certainly no reason to bring, to bring doubt or fear or any kind of, to people who lose children. And I mean, why do we, we want to limit, limit the, we don't, I, I don't want to um, get, this just another way to think about it. Since when is the work of the Holy Spirit limited by the, by the skin of a mother's belly? The faith comes by what? Hearing. So has the mom like been embracing the faith for the last nine months, coming to church, having the scripture, hearing the scripture? The mom has been receiving the Lord's Supper on her tongue, receiving salvation. Interesting thing about what goes into mom, it all goes to the kid. That's why you're not supposed to have like 12 margaritas on a Saturday night when you're six months pregnant, apparently, right? It's not good for the baby. But you know what is good for the baby? Jesus coming into mom. So, I mean, that's, these are wonderfully comforting things that we can say. So in four weeks from now, when I don't, I, I'll, I'll talk about the first article of the creed and, instead of baptism in four weeks. No, good. No, it's a, good, a very good question. Uh, so last, last time around, we started talking about creation and the first article of the creed. And um, I got a few notes there on your, on your handout. I modified it some from the one I gave you last week. If you want to open your catechism to... Uh, the first couple pages, page 16, I think. Yeah. So we talked about... I think we hit suffering already last time. That's why I took that one off this, this handout. Uh, maker. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the ideology of evolutionism and its impact on man, life, Bible, world, etc. So here's some proof text for you below. Uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How do you do it? He spoke. So God, it's a remarkable thing. There's no, there's no, there's no life. There's no nothing. And then Jesus simply speaks. All right, God, I keep saying Jesus. Yeah, that's fine. It is, so, by the way, was, is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has the, the Holy Trinity always 
been around? Is it eternal? Let me put it this way. Is God eternal? So that would mean that there's no beginning and no end, right? So that would mean at creation there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where are they at creation? I can't remember if I did this with you guys yet or not. So where's the... Afterward. <laughs> so would you like to enlighten everyone else who didn't just... No, you told us here. Yeah, but everybody... so, what is... so, where... so where's Jesus at creation? <laughs> you don't remember? All right, so in the beginning was uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. How did he do it? He spoke, let there be light, right? He speaks, God the Father speaks, let there be light. It says that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. The Spirit's there, the Father's there, and but there's no Jesus except for the Word. So God speaks, let there be light, and the spoken word of God is the creating thing. This is a bizarre thing. Because we think about Jesus as like two legs, two arms walking around. But before the incarnation, before Jesus became flesh, he was, whenever God is showing up talking, Jesus is there as word. The other interesting thing is, though, is so like now, whenever the word, God's word is spoken into our ears, it's not just words about Jesus, but it is, in fact, Jesus. Jesus. Right? So God is bringing himself into us. Um, so at creation, God speaks into nothingness and something happens. I, teach the, I was teaching the kids this morning. Uh, when, when Jesus forgives your sins, how do you know that they're forgiven? Because when Jesus, says, when Jesus says anything, what happens? It happens. When Jesus says anything, it happens. So when Jesus speaks, let there be light, there's light. When Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, Lazarus comes out. To the lame guy, get up, he gets up. Demons, get out, get out. To us, your sins are forgiven, they are forgiven, right? Remarkable thing. So he creates at the beginning of Genesis 1, Colossians 1, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's that invisible part of the creed, the whole, the whole like spiritual realm that we cannot see just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, but made, out, made by the very word of God. So within the, in contrast to God speaking things into existence and making them perfect from the beginning and, them, and everything getting progressively bad by sin, we've got this opposite picture of the ideology of evolutionism, which would be that really no, I don't know, I don't know what science is currently saying is, is the beginning, the Big Bang, whatever it was, millions and trillions of years ago. And like you can go to any, any publicly bankrolled museum and, and like in front of any display, it'll say billions of years ago, Dinosaurs, blah, 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 or whatever. I go to Star of Rock and they'll explain to you why, how long it took this like, cavern to get made. Millions of years, whatever, right? So it's always this operating in this assumption that we've got millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And, it's, and over time, things have progressively gotten better, right? So how have they gotten better? Well, in short, to oversimplify it, would be the, the survival of the fittest, right? So you've got... You've got one, one we'll go with a fish with, a, with short fins who can't swim as fast, and there's another fish with a little bit longer fins. And so they're able to swim faster, eat more food, breed more, live longer, and then there's more of those longer finned fish for the next generation, right? So there's these weird genetic mutations that allow for better survival and the death of the weak. And then it just keeps moving forward, progressing forward. Hence we get our, that's what we're, very popular these days, the progressive, progressivism. It all comes out of this, this evolutionary view of history that's being driven forward by struggles, to a weak and a strong party fighting against one another, driving history forward. Uh, the problem with evolutionism, that claiming to be science, is that it's not science. As any third grader will tell you, science has a specific method where you have a theory, you test the theory, you repeat it, right? 
you know, you have a hypothesis. I forget how the order goes, right? Um, is this pen going to fall when I drop it? I don't know. We have this theory of gravity. It's pretty sure, right? I can drop it. I can test it. You can test it, repeat it. Try it again, try it again, try it again, right? The problem with evolution is it cannot be repeated, right? For us to be able to, like, the idea of having a, a, a time when there was nothing and then seeing what happens out of that vacuum. Can life come out of this vacuum? We can't actually test it because we would be either artificially creating it or we'd, we would not be around anymore to see it. You see? So it can't be repeated, and therefore it cannot be science. It has to be held rather on faith. Interestingly, right? So it's an it's article of faith for a person to hold to the ideology of evolutionism. And yet that drives everything in our culture now. So the survival of the fittest, so the strong are, have a higher value, they're more important, that's what has an impact on ethics. Um, it, it impacts the Bible. So things that in the Bible are rejected that don't comport with what science asserts. So science would say that, um, you, you mean the Grand Canyon had to take billions and trillions of years, right? Problem is this, Adam and Eve, how old were they when God created them? A, a more complex question would be, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? <laughs> and I think maybe they did, because otherwise where would Eve put her belly button ring? <laughs> After the fall into sin, obviously. No. <laughs> but but there, so we're talking, so he's, he's, he's created, ready to go, right? And within, within days, it seems, he's given Eve. So he's created as full, full man, and he's given Eve full woman, and they actually become flesh and start procreating children and so forth. So these are fully formed, ready-to-go humans. God didn't actually form them in a womb. He created them fully formed, just like the world. So is it possible he forgot to make trees that were 100 years old when he created the earth? Eve, Adam and Eve were 39, which is the ideal age. <laughs> um, so yeah, so evolutionism, um, we're up against that screaming from the culture. I mean, as, I'm, as the more I'm learning about science, fewer and fewer people hold, they can't actually give a reason for for the beginning, they're just trying to come up with any, some, kind of a, some kind of a reason for um, how, where, how we came to be apart from the Bible. Uh, John's a physicist. He probably swims in more of these waters than, than I have. But uh, there's constantly, there's a lack of conformity or, or agreement amongst all the scientists, even the atheist ones, on, on, uh, on how we came to be. But they, all they know is this, the Bible cannot be. Because the Bible contains what problem? The main problem. A resurrection from the dead, right? So therefore, the, 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 the um, inclusion of a miracle in the Bible is the very thing that disproves the Bible. But for us, I'm like, if there had been a resurrection, wouldn't that be something you, you want to write down and pass, pass around, right? <laughs> Feel like, feel like that's the very thing you want to tell people about, right? Uh, any question about that about evolutionism? So the, the kids are being taught this, and it impacts it impacts everything. There's no there's no moral system. There's no good or evil, right or wrong. If there's not a creator, there's also no order in the midst of chaos. Everything is in fact chaos all the time. Death. It's a it's ideology is a is a te- is a religion of death. Right? So the strong survive, and the only way they survive is by killing off the weak. Hitler's killing of the Jews? Why was that wrong? If I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a true evolutionist, it wasn't wrong. Uh, killing babies in the womb? If it makes me a better person or helps me survive and what I determine to be surviving better living a better life, having more money, whatever the thing might be, then it's important for me to be able to kill it because it's weaker than me, right? The baby. So all kinds of ethics are behind this. And, um, and the, the loneliness, the lack of, the lack of uh, purpose in life, I mean, what is the, why, why live? 
why not commit suicide? So we see this huge spike in suicide rates among especially young, the young, younger generations. Because they're being taught, like, okay, we're in this weird chaos. Nothing happens for a reason. There's no order to anything. Stuff just happens, and then we die, and that's kind of it. So I want to maximize pleasure for as long as possible, and that's like, so hedonism. Like, the only purpose in life is to have as much fun uh, that I can get away with without like, prematurely ending my life, and that's it. And that's kind of meaningless and empty, especially when you've gone down what seems to be all the roads that should be giving you pleasure. And if we'd be able to say as Christians, they're not going to actually give you pleasure. The devil promises that they will, right? Eat, eat the fruit. It looks great. It's going to make you like God. But the devil never comes through on these promises. So all this sin that's claiming to give all this lasting pleasure doesn't work. And the kids finally are like, uh, what's the point? Suicide. Tragic. It should be surprising. Why not walk into a school and mow down a bunch of kids with a machine gun? They're weaker than you are, and they made you mad. You're stronger than they are. School shootings, no surprise, happening all the time. It's on the rise, right? That's not to say we should not believe in evolutionism simply because it's, it creates all these social ethical dilemmas. I mean, it's actually just not true, but we actually see there's also a, a very clear consequence to letting this false doctrine seep into our schools for as long as it has. Any questions on that? From anyone who's not a PhD in physics? Okay. Uh, the next thing there, the, the Lord's gift of ordering. So, so uh, in, the, in the meaning there, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he's given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, still takes care of them. He has given me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against danger, guards and protects me from all evil. Out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, he does this without any merit or worthiness in me. And so it's my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him with my life. God has set everything in its proper place from creation. And at creation where there's no sin, everything has its, he's given me all that I have. He's, he's given Adam and Eve all that he has. And it's all got this pr proper purpose. And when things are taken out of their given ordering, we have sin. So the, the, what's the first sin? Adam and Eve doing what? Eating the, Eating the, the fruit, the anti-appleist. I'm a preschool teacher. It's an <laughs> apple. It wasn't, we don't know it was an apple. I bet it was a peach. I mean, what's more tempting, a peach or an apple? You ever, got, you ever get peach skin stuck between your teeth? No, but apple skin, yes. Uh, anyway, so whatever the, whatever the fruit was, um, God had said, don't eat from this. Do eat from everything else. This tree is not given to you to eat. This tree is given to you to actually be obedient. So this is your worship. Luther actually said that was where Adam and Eve went to church by simply not eating the tree. That was their being obedient to God. Their life of obedience to God was simply not eating the tree. Um, and then eating all the other stuff that they wanted, doing everything else that they were given freedom to do. And then what, when, the, when sin enters in, what God places in its proper order is all flipped upside down. So like um, those keys there, Dragoo, uh, what, what kind of car is that? A Ford, uh, a, a, Ford Edge. A Ford Edge. So I could take that Ford Edge for myself. Is the Ford Edge sinful? No. Is you having a Ford Edge sinful? No, but me taking yours becomes sinful. So the proper order is you've got your stuff. It's not given to me. I can take your stuff and then I've taken it out of ordering. Wives work the same way. So wives and husbands are given to one another in holy marriage. And so when someone else takes someone else's wife, we have adultery, the shattering of marriage, right? So, but in its proper place, sexuality is a good thing, given a proper order according to God's gift, right? In holy marriage. So we take sex out of marriage. Now we have disorder and sin and all the consequences therein. Marriages fall apart, families and so forth. So stuff, our names. So our names are given to be, and the eighth commandment as we learned, our reputations are given to be upheld and to uh, defend our neighbor's reputation, to speak well of a, our, our neighbor's reputation, to put the best construction on things. So we can use our neighbor's name in a right way. That's how their, their names are to be, how the names are given. 
But then I take their name and instead use it for evil, by speaking evil of a person, hurting their reputation. What God has put in order, we take out of order, and it, we have sin. Uh, I go, if I go uh, to the hospital and a guy comes at me with a scalpel and cuts me open, starts doing weird things in my heart, is that a problem? Well, not if I'm having a heart attack, but it is a problem if it's like after you guys all leave and I'm like the last one out here, I turn off all the lights and I go out this back door and then someone decides to do that to me out there. That's a problem. What is that? Murder, Right? So in its proper place, in its proper vocation, right? Uh, God, so God puts all these things in its proper place and we pull them out of their givenness and now we have sin. All things visible and invisible. Um, last Sunday was St. Michael and all angels. So I was gonna talk about that last week, but just in short, all the things that we can't see. So heaven, we, we, have, we have guardian angels. We have, there, there are, at this moment, uh, you have angels defending you and devil and the demons trying to, hurt you, trying to tempt you towards sin, right? Luther said, if we knew the, the, amount of demon, the amount of fiery darts that the demons had pointed at us at every second of every day, we would run to the Lord's Supper. We forget this, like, this spiritual warfare that's happening all around us um, with the angels and the demons. And yet that's what the Lord is saying. The most important thing the angels are doing, though, is like this, there's this spiritual, not just like this, physical battle, like the demons are trying to actually punch me in the stomach and then the angels are like blocking it, right? And maybe, maybe there is that too because when, when, I, when my body hurts, when, like, I, when a person tears their ACL playing softball trying to get into college or something, I don't know, just a random example, uh, then the devil comes to you and uh, start, can use that to say, why? Why would, why would a loving God let that happen to you? I mean, it's just a knee, but imagine cancer or like big disease, like terrible. Why? So the demons can bring these physical harm to us that then the devil will then use to undermine our faith, to allow tragedy, to allow job loss, pain, suffering, all these different things. Sin, whenever we're sinned against in various ways, we're like, we can, we can, we can, we can doubt the presence of God. We can doubt the love of God for us. That's the real work of the devil. The devil doesn't care about hurting you physically, except for that he wants to rob you of your faith. And if he can do that by bringing you physical pain and suffering, then fine. That's how he went after Job, remember? The Old Testament. So he goes after Job by first taking away his family, his stuff, his livelihood. And that wasn't enough. So the devil said, hey, if I go after his body too. So he lets him go after, God lets him go after his body as well and bring him to sickness. So he's trying to bring him to, dis to the point of despair so he'd walk away from God. Uh, so what the angels are doing, in contrast to that, is speaking into our conscience, delivering the goodness of Jesus. So constantly reminding us of God's love for us. So the devil's having his conversation in our, in our conscience. God doesn't love you. Why would a loving God let these terrible things happen to you? Um, you you're a terrible sinner. You probably deserve this for something you've done, whatever. And then, and then Jesus is having his angels deliver into your conscience, no, Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. All this stuff that's happening now, I'm going to work out for good. I know what I'm doing. Don't listen to him. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm in control, not him. So that's the, the, this, this conversation that's happening even in our conscience between the devil and the angels trying to rob us of faith. That's kind of deep, and you know, we don't see it, but this is what the scriptures are all about. The coolest thing that we know the angels do is they throw parties every time we repent. So I say, when I say, when I say something foolish to my wife or, or whatever, and, and then I say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I'm an idiot. And she says, I forgive you. Heaven's popping, you hit a champagne court. Like parties in heaven, right? And when sinners repent, there is rejoicing in heaven. When, when the lost sheep are found, right? So when, when sinners kind of wander off, the prodigal son wanders off from the faith and then, and then Jesus brings them back in his way, in his time. The, the angels are rejoicing in heaven, right? There's this huge party. Um, but the angels are created, by the way, that we don't, you don't get to become an angel, that instead the angels want to be like you. Spoiler alert, regardless of what you might have 
read in the cartoon, heard in the cartoons or um, been told by some sappy Hallmark card, um, we don't become angels. And that's actually good. The, 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 the thing with the devil was he was he part of the reason that he fell, some argue, is because he, he wanted to be like us. He was jealous of humanity because ultimately the angels are made to serve us. Isn't that a great thing? The humans are the crown of creation. That's why we were created on the last day. Everything else was in order. He like, he made everything, per- it's like nesting. Guys, <laughs> I never thought about that. God was nesting, in- you know what that means? I didn't know until, until, <laughs> until your wife's pregnant and you read all these books. Oh, that's what that is. God's creating, getting everything ready that he can put Adam and Eve in the middle of it. And the, and the devil didn't want anything to do with that. So um, the angels long to be like us, and yet they, and so the ones who actually got mad, mad enough became demons. But when you die, you go to heaven and it's better. So it's okay. You don't get to fly. Maybe, I assume you don't get to fly. Um, we can talk about heaven another day. Maybe now. How much time we got? Six minutes. So we have we have a guy, uh, Pastor Melius, is a, is a, my young is my old no my oldest daughter's godfather. He came out for a heaven and hell conference last spring, and his he's big on this heaven stuff. But in short, heaven is uh, in his in his county of it. It's everything that we that you love about this world. Minus sin. So usually we think about heaven as I'm up in the clouds, kind of disembodied, like weird, or I'm like stuck in church all the time, worshiping, which if you've got a bad church, you're like, I don't know if I want to go to that heaven. I don't know. But like we picture heaven as this unearthly place. Problem was when God created heaven on earth at, at the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. It was meant to be eternal, right? So when God recreates the heavens and the earth, it's going to be just like Eden, except without the potentiality of falling into sin. So everything that you love about this world, um, you love playing the softball, even though it hurts your body. <laughs> uh, why would there not be so- Is softball sinful? I, I always say, I want to learn how to play the piano. I said it very adamantly when I was like 20, and I thought, I'll do it next year. I haven't actually gotten around to it yet. And now I think I'm just going to throw in the towel um, for this, on this side of heaven. But I have all eternity because is the piano sinful? No, right? So when you think about heaven as this, all the wonderful things about this world that we, um, that we enjoy and love minus sin, right? Now, that's after Jesus comes back. Right now, for those of you who have lost your beloved mother, who is now standing before the Lord's throne, her body is reverently placed on the ground where it will be awakened, awakened, right, when Jesus comes back. So right now we have this intermediate state of our souls are separated from our bodies and and are in heaven. And here's the weirdest thing. I don't have an answer for you on this. In heaven right now, uh, the saints are described by John as being like clothed in white robes. Now that's symbolic for being covered in the holiness of Jesus. But they're singing. And we know it's heaven now because they're actually, they're asking Jesus, how long, O Lord, are you going to wait with all these martyrdoms that are happening down on earth? So when are you, when, when are you going to come back and end all this? That is, and when, when uh, in Revelation 7, the saints keep coming in and John says, who are these? These are those who have, who have come out of the great tribulation. That is, they're, they're, they're kind of, they keep coming in. Right on time, by the way. Like God knows when they're supposed to die and they come in right on time. But the, so they actually show up, they're singing, they're holding palm branches, they're wearing clothes, which means they have bodies. And yet their bodies are in the ground. So how do you work that out? I don't know. But that's the... That's the intermediate state. It's like some, some kind of a presence, it seems, currently, before Jesus returns. After Jesus returns, bodies raised, perfected, souls and bodies back together for the, for the judgment. Really, it's a judgment that Christians already know the answer to. It's because like, it's like you're already, you've been at the party. It's kind of an inconvenience to go back for these. I guess you get your body back, which would be nice. 
but you've had something in the meantime. <laughs> but you go back for the judgment to hear what you already knew, that you're one of the sheep. Everybody else, not so much. That's, that's more of a bummer on the last day for them. But um, so that's heaven. It really isn't. I didn't get to the second article at all. Can I at least finish the first article? Yeah, I got two minutes. That's totally possible. What gives a human value the impact on ethical decisions and personal value? So today, um, what makes a person valuable is usually what, how they, what, what I can get out of them. So a person is valuable to me, like if I can, whether it's vocationally, if they, if they can serve me in some way. Um, but like when a person is unable to actually bring me some kind of joy, satisfaction, serve me in some way, they have less and less value. So think about how society looks at that and says, okay, if, I got a, if I've got an 18-year-old boy, man, who's, who's maybe got cancer and we've got limited treatment, so we have one dose and we got this 18-year-old guy and there's a 95-year-old guy who's got the same cancer. Which one do we give the dose to and why? Obviously, we want to go with the 18-year-old and maybe we'd be justified in doing so. Maybe, I think the better way to be just to ask the guy who's 95. Hey, what, what do you think? Uh, do, do you, would, you, would it be okay with you if we gave it to this guy so he's got a long life to live and so forth? But it's not, we can't ever say one life is more valuable or less valuable than another. So we usually determine value by the, the, what they're able to, how they're able to serve in the society, right? Are they, do they have more years left, years of service? Do they have more abilities, more skills? That person's really smart. That person's not so smart. Maybe the smarter person, we want them to keep around longer so they're more valuable. So these are all things determining a person's value apart from the one way that God gives value, and that is he simply created us in his image. So our value is fully that he's created us. We belong to him. And uh, so we have, we can say of ourselves that we are worth everything to Jesus because he gave up everything for us. Right? Uh, I, I know I, I can't remember if it was in here I said this or not, but like my, when I was a kid, I used to collect baseball cards. And I had this like rookie card. And I, it was um, allegedly, according to Beckett, the, the book that tells you how much baseball cards are worth, it was worth like 50 bucks or something like this. And I took it to my sister and I tried to get her to give me 50 bucks. And she said, no. And I'm like I'm trying to work this thing out in my head. And dad says, uh, Seth, uh, things are only worth what? What you're willing to pay for it. What, what somebody's willing to pay for it. So what's Jesus willing to give up for you? Everything. Everything. So what are you worth? Everything. To God. So my value now is actually based on not what I'm able to do for others, not how other people even view me. That's the other problem. We wrap, we wrap too much in like how other people perspectives of us or how other people value us, how many friends I have on Facebook or whatever nonsense. But no, my value is because Jesus, God created me and he died for me. I have all the value that there is. See? And now that, that clears up a lot of the ethical mess too. Now we, we walk into a room and say, everybody's got full value. And yeah, now we got some tough decisions to make, but it's not based on somebody being more or less valuable than somebody else. And as I consider my own life and my own value, I, I don't have to kind of wallow in despair that I'm somehow, I'm not, no one loves me. Well, that's not true. The only person who matters does, right? So you're worth everything to him. That's our human value. And next, so next week we'll hit the second and third article and we'll keep pushing everything down toward baptism and then we'll make up our, make up our lost time. Any questions on the, on the first article of the creed? Cover that for two weeks. Wow. So we're, at, we're actually like, we're over halfway through, believe it or not. I think there's only 13. Yeah, we're like, today we, we, we crossed over into the second half. So we're going to wrap up the creed next week, hit the Lord's Prayer for one week, and then we'll hit the sacraments briefly. So the Lord's Supper, um, Holy Baptism, and a little bit more about worship. So... Um, as you have more questions unfolding, as we get closer to November 20, 
where any of you guys will be brought in their membership. Like if you're not currently Lutheran and you have some like, you're still kind of like, some particular issues that you're, I never really, I'm still, fr- I'm, I'm, bon- I'm confused about this one thing, or I never really quite understood this one thing. Start bringing that one thing. If, if you want to email me in advance, I can prepare better for the, for the sake of the group. Um, and also, uh, keep on your radar November 3rd, from 6.30 to 8.30. It's a Thursday, right, Beth? In this room. So I'll be able to remind you the day before. But the idea is we just have like some key leaders in the congregation, like elders, um, some of our council and all that kind of stuff. We, we used to have a like one Sunday morning, like really quick, all the board people would come in and like try to tell you all the different ways you can get involved in church. And no one ever remembered anything anyway. And it's just such a blur. So we're like, let's just not do that at all. And instead just like have some time chatting with folks, getting to know other people. So we, I try to invite handful of people that, that uh, you guys might like to get to know. You can ask them uh, over the course of the evening. Pizza, wine. Uh, if you got kids, bring your kiddos. Um, I'm going to have mine, so they'll be the ones running around jamming you and like, hit you on the side of the knee and stuff. That's my little kids smacking you around. Any questions? Very good. Second article next week. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you. Have a good night.